Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for giving your word to your people. We praise you for the Proverbs, and we thank you for how they invite us to think about the world in a particular way. And I pray that we would accept that invitation this morning, Lord, to see things through the eyes of wisdom. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work to give each of us who listen soft and teachable and humble hearts, and that we would then, Lord, delight to respond in the way that you call us to respond. Don't let any one of us here, Lord, miss what you want to do through your word this morning. And I pray that you would empower by your Holy Spirit me as I speak, and all of us as we actively listen and receive the word with faith. And I pray this for the glory of Jesus in the church. Amen. You can have a seat. It's a delight to be with you this morning in this way. I've really been looking forward to this. And uh, while I say that, I can say that it also has been a joy to sit under the preaching of the Word of God over the past number of weeks uh, through the different people who have brought the Word to us. And uh, we have a real privilege as a church. I just want to say a word about this. I hope you know that we have a real privilege as a church to uh, be able to be uh, a place where growing and developing leaders and specifically preachers uh, get to grow and develop and have the opportunity to to do that. Uh, I've told developing preachers many times the only way for you to really grow as a preacher is just to preach more. That's just just the only way around it. And yet, in order for them to do that, they need a, a, a place to do that. And uh, as a church, we have an incredible opportunity and a, and a, and a gift and a privilege to, to get to offer uh, th- them that opportunity, which we've been able to do over the past number of weeks. And uh, so we all have a role in that. I get to sit down with some of them and, and give them feedback and talk through uh, that experience. But we all get to play a part in encouraging and listening. And, and yes, even you offering feedback when it's appropriate. And um, and so I'm very grateful for the, the men who have brought God's word to us in the last number of weeks while I've been on vacation and then even the many weeks before then while uh, I was figuring out some of my health stuff, which um, continues to uh, simmer in the background, but thankfully not bubble uh, over the edges of the pot very much recently. So I'm grateful for that. As we get into today's message, uh, which is called The Wise, The Fool, and You, um, I'm reminded of, of an experience I've had a number of times in the past um, in the past year. Um, maybe it's I'm just getting home, or I've been working in my office downstairs, and I'm just uh, get, and I walk up the stairs into the kitchen, and there's a story that's being read. Either Amy's reading from a book to the kids, or there's an audio book that's playing, and there's a story being told, and it sounds really good, and it sounds really intriguing. But I have no idea who the characters are. And so I hear in this story people saying things and responding in certain ways and acting in certain ways. And it all sounds awfully interesting. But because I don't know who these different characters are, I really don't have much of a clue as to what's actually going on in the story. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll say, okay, just pause for a moment. Can you explain who these people are who are talking right now? Who, who, who are these characters? And then as they're explained to me who they are and what a little bit of their backstory is, all of a sudden I go, ah, that makes sense to me. The story kind of falls into place. 
maybe you've had that experience. Uh, you, you've maybe picked up maybe a, a, a script for a play or maybe a, even a book where on the first page at the very beginning it lists, here's the characters and here's a little bit about each one of them. And it really helps the story make sense. Well, the book of Proverbs has a cast of characters. We've been hearing about these characters over the past number of weeks. We're at the halfway point actually today in our series through Proverbs 9 to 31. And probably by now, a number of you have been able to pick up on who these different characters are and, and are able to describe or identify them a little bit. But there's a number of Proverbs. In fact, uh, today had the biggest list. You saw your handout has four, four pages. And the, the greatest number of Proverbs simply describing in their, in their essence who these different characters are. And so at the halfway point here in our series through Proverbs, what we're going to do is we're going to just look at this cast of characters. Who are they in their, in their essence? At the root, who are they? And how does understanding them help us understand not only the book of Proverbs, but also ourselves and, and some of the really key experiences that, that we may have had or will yet have in our lives. So as we look at the cast of characters, I think maybe we should have done this right at the very beginning of the series through Proverbs, but I think that as we look at it today, it's going to help the book come into focus, and it's going to help some things in our own lives come into focus, and perhaps in some surprising ways. So we're going to start, uh, and, and the outline's all there in your handout. You'll be able to follow along. We're going to start by looking at the five characters. Now, there's different ways of dividing up these characters. I went with five, and you'll see why. Um, it's not saying this is the only right answer, the only right way of doing this. But uh, we're going to do it this way for this, our purposes this morning. And the first character on the lineup is the simple the simple. We've heard about the simple several times in the first part of Proverbs. Chapter 9, which we studied together back at family camp, described the simple uh, and talked about how both Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly were calling out to the simple and saying, come, listen to me. And that's probably the best way for us to, to think about the simple and who this, in, in the book of Proverbs, who's someone who is simple how to think about them is the person who is simple is someone who is not yet committed either to wisdom or to folly. They haven't chosen whether they're going to choose wisdom or whether they're going to choose folly. So the simple person is not yet wise, but they also are not yet a fool. They could go one way or the other. So, there is still hope for the simple person. Like we saw back in Proverbs 9. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Proverbs later on holds out hope that the simple might be able to learn. Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. When a scoffer is punished, the simple become wise. That's 2111 and 1925. So the simple can become wise. However, according to Proverbs, so long as they remain simple, they're not wise. And so they're vulnerable. Simple, that, that word and the way that it's described in Proverbs pictures someone who is clueless, naive, gullible, 
14:15 The simple believes everything but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Okay, the simple is the person who gets an email from someone saying, I have $10,000 waiting for you if you forward this to everyone on your email list, and they say, that sounds great, and they click forward, okay? That's, that's sort of a, a, a way of thinking about a simple person. So they're not yet a fool, but they're also not yet wise. They're vulnerable. And if they stay simple... It's not going to work out for them. Proverbs 14, 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge, right? Folly is going to be their inheritance so long as they stay simple. 22, 3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Now, something very interesting before we move on from the simple is that in the book of Proverbs, the, the simple are never once pictured as saying anything. Isn't that interesting? Proverbs never, put, never puts words in the mouth of the simple. And that's not because simple people in real life never talk. Rather, it's, it's giving us a, a pretty important hint that according to Proverbs, this, what the simple person needs to do is not talk, but listen so that they might learn wisdom, so that they might not stay simple. So in our world today, we've got this idea that everybody has something to say and everybody's opinion is as good as the next. And Proverbs disagrees. Every person is valuable because every person was made in the image of God. But not everything that everyone has to say is valuable. And for those who are simple, naive, gullible, Proverbs implicitly and explicitly says, use your ears, not your mouth. Learn wisdom. So that's our first character this morning, the simple. The second person we meet in Proverbs, the second character is the fool. The fool is someone who is no longer merely simple. The fool has chosen to listen to Lady Folly and has bought into her scam. And they're now committed to foolishness. Now, we've heard a lot about the fool in the past several weeks. We've heard that they have a poor approach to money, to their parents, to neighbors and friends, to justice, and especially last week to discipline, rebuke, and correction. But there's something at the root of all of this. What, what makes a fool a fool? And remember, that's what we're after this morning. And according to the book of Proverbs, the common characteristic that makes a person a fool is that they're unteachable. A fool is someone who is always talking instead of listening and learning. 10.8 says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Now, a babbling fool is not one particular kind of fool. The idea in Proverbs is that that's just what a fool is, someone who, who babbles. They're always spewing things out so they can never take anything in. They can't receive the commandments of the wise because they're always telling the wise what they think. 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. So picture a group of people sitting down for a meal or a meeting. 
and one person is there and they're asking questions and they're, yeah, maybe they're sharing some things, but they're really, they're trying to understand what the other people at the table think, what's going on. That's a wise person, which we're going to get to. The fool is the person sitting there saying, well, I think this and I feel this and I think that and I feel that. And it's just barraging everybody with their own opinions. They're not actually interested in understanding anything. They're only interested in making sure that everybody knows what they think. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. That's 29.11. There was a friend of mine who used to joke. He would sometimes say things and he'd go, oops, was that my outside voice? Well, a fool always uses their outside voice. Everything that's on the inside gets broadcast to the outside. And some people in this world might say, well, that's just my personality. And the book of Proverbs says, no, that's, that's actually foolishness. A wise person knows when to keep things in. A fool has no filters. Fools are unteachable. And they're unteachable, for, as we've already seen so far, because they're never listening enough to actually l- learn anything. But another reason why they're unteachable is that they already think that they know everything. So uh, 12.15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Fool thinks he's already got it all figured out. He knows it all. So you can't teach him anything. Here's some advice. 23.9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. He's not going to listen. In chapter 26, there's a whole string of Proverbs. We're not going to read it all, but it's there in your handout to to the references to find them later. Chapter 26, verses 3 to 12, a whole string of, of Proverbs that show us that because a fool is so unteachable, his position is relatively hopeless. 26, 3 says that a fool is going to need constant discipline, just like an animal, because he's, he's never going to learn. There's some advice in verses 4 to 5 about how to talk to a fool. And there's a little bit of hope there in chapter 26, verse 5, that perhaps at times, if you answer a fool according to his folly, I don't know if this verse is in your handout, but sometimes if you answer a fool according to his folly, maybe you'll help him see that he, he's not actually wise. He won't be wise in his own eyes. But the rest of these verses kind of close up that little door of hope a little bit. Even wise words are worthless in a fool's mouth. Like a lame man's legs is a proverb in the mouth of a fool because his heart doesn't understand them. These verses warn us not to trust a fool, not to give a fool honor, and basically not to expect them to change. Now there is a little bit of hope, like we saw verse 5 and then verse 12 of chapter 26, and I think this is in your handout. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So the man who walks into the room thinking, the man or woman who walks into the room thinking, I am so wise. Oh, lucky you. You get, here I am. Uh, You are so lucky to be here. You get some of my wisdom. Okay, that person, there's less hope for them than for a fool, which means that there's a little bit of hope for a fool. Maybe, just maybe, they might get it at some point. But overall, the Proverbs holds out very little hope. Think of this rather grotesque verse. 
Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-two: Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. Throw a fool in a wood chipper, and every little piece that comes out the other end will be foolish. That's a modern translation of, of, of this verse. Okay? That, that's gross, but that's kind of what it's telling us. It's so tightly bound up in who they are. If a, man, if a wise man has an argument with the fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there's no quiet. 29.9. Folly is their food and joy. 15.14.21. They enjoy doing wrong. 10.23. They flaunt their folly. 13.16. They're reckless. 14.16. Deceptive. 14.8. Argumentative. Several verses that speak to that, all in your handout. And ultimately, the picture is that a fool is, is dangerous. Proverbs seventeen twelve. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in her folly. I carry bear spray with me when I go into the woods around here. I don't want to meet a bear, especially not a mama bear whose cubs have been taken away from her. And yet, according to Proverbs, that would be a safer encounter than to meet a fool right in the middle of his folly. Because ultimately, the words and actions of that fool are going to be more damaging. So that's how Proverbs points us to the fool. You can see we've moved from bad to worse. Simple, fool. And yet we take a step even in in an even worse direction when we get to number three, when we get to the scoffer. Scoffer, another word for this is mocker. That's how the NIV translates it. A scoffer is someone who's gone beyond a fool. The fool is clueless to wisdom. The scoffer openly mocks wisdom. They're cynical, arrogant, loud, brash. So, twenty-one, twenty-four. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. And the rest of Proverbs describes a scoffer kind of like a fool on steroids. A dangerous person for whom there's, there's no hope. So, if the simple person is the one clicking on every scam email that gets sent their way, the fool is the person posting selfies to social media every five minutes, telling you what they think about everything that just happened in their last five minutes. The scoffer is the guy designing sarcastic memes to arrogantly mock every single person that they disagree with. And don't get me wrong, I like a good meme. They can be used well, but I think you know what I'm pointing to. The person who is always in bitter, angry, sarcasm mode. That's the scoffer. And, and you can't get through to them. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, 14.6. They do nothing but plan and cause trouble, 24.8, 29.8. And when they're punished, it's only so that others might learn from their negative example, like we've seen in the case of the simple Scoffers ultimately cause so much damage and so much pain and abuse that they simply need to be driven out, 22.10. And 24.9 says it most harshly when it says that the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. 
So, simple fool scoffer. I've seen a progression from someone who has not yet chosen one path to someone who's chosen a path to someone who's so locked in and angry and, and mocking of everybody else that there's no hope for them. Now, I, I'd like to be done at this point with this list of villains, but there's one more, and it's the wicked. Now, what we need to understand, though, right away is that the wicked person is not a step four. Rather, Proverbs uses the language of wicked or evil or crooked or deceptive or violent to picture the moral side of foolishness and and scoffing. So a fool and a scoffer are also among the wicked. And Proverbs has a lot to say about the wicked. And we know that this is talking about the same thing because of 10.23, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. 13.19, to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. So there we see that fools and evil and doing wrong are just intersected. And then 14.16, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. So a wise person, the opposite of a fool, turns away from evil. So we see here that foolishness and and wickedness just are so tightly connected together. And the whole rest of the book makes this point repeatedly. So everything that Proverbs says about the fool and the scoffer is applicable to the wicked or vice versa. Everything Proverbs says about the wicked is applicable to the fool and the scoffer. And Proverbs says a lot about the wicked. Isn't it interesting that the book of wisdom, the book of wisdom says so much about these moral categories of righteousness and wickedness. Proverbs 10.6, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. 12.20, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. 21.10, the soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. 13.5, the wicked brings shame and disgrace. There's a whole other list of verses in your handout. I encourage you to read those. Get a richer picture of what this wicked, violent, crooked, deceitful person is like. Now, if it's true, and it, and it is, if it's true that fo- foolishness and wickedness go together hand in glove, then there's a really important point that we're going to come back to. You can't reject wisdom and still hope to, to be a good person living a good life. It, it just doesn't work that way. You can't separate our minds from our hearts. How you think from how you live, it's all connected. And we're going to come back to this idea in, in a little bit. The fool will be, if not is already, the wicked. And the wise will be the righteous. And that brings us to our fifth character. And finally, we get to something that is a little bit more enjoyable. Not that enjoyability is our interpretive guide, but we're going to now consider the wise and the righteous person. This is the person who perhaps at one point was simple, like everybody. But they heard Lady Wisdom calling, and they said yes. And they chose the path of wisdom. 
What do the Proverbs say about this person? What, what's at the essence, at the heart of wisdom? I encourage you just to take a moment in your own mind to reflect on that question. If you were to come up with a one-word definition for someone who is wise, maybe one or two or three words, what would it be? Well, here's what Proverbs tells us. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. Reprove a man of understanding, he will gain knowledge. 1925, 2111. While the simple believes everything, the prudent gives thought to his steps. 1415. The prudent, again, prudent being a word for someone who's actually thinking and it overlaps with wise. The prudent are crowned with knowledge. They know how to avoid danger. 1418, 22.3. But down to the heart of it, the wise of heart will receive commandments. 10.8. A wise man quietly holds back instead of venting his spirit. 29.11. A wise man listens to advice. 12.15. Wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding, 10.23. With those who take advice is wisdom, 13.10. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, 15.14. It's not hard to see a picture that emerges here, is it? Fundamentally, at the heart of a wise person, according to the book of Proverbs, is teachability. A wise person knows that they need wisdom and understanding, and so they seek after it, and they receive it. Even, like we heard last week, even if it comes in the form of a, of a rebuke or a critique, they receive it because they are looking to learn. Now, they don't just listen to anybody, right? That's, that's, the, that's the simple person, the gullible person, just believes everybody. A wise person knows to listen to wisdom. Their heart is tuned in to wisdom. But when they hear wisdom, they latch onto it and they receive it. And so this helps us see something that's really important, which again, we're going to come back to this and kind of sum up these ideas. But according to the book of Proverbs, a wise person is not someone who knows everything, who has their head crammed full of facts, who can tell you all about this. I like hanging out with people like that. I'm a curious person. I love hanging out with someone who can say, oh, that's when that was made and this, that. That's really fun. But that's not wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs. In fact, someone who thinks they know everything by definition, is a what? It's a fool, according to Proverbs. Also, being a wise person or being a righteous person doesn't mean that you are a sinless person. Proverbs 29, who can say, I've made my heart pure, I'm clean from my sin? And the the implied answer is nobody. But it's this understanding that shapes the heart of a wise and a righteous person. They seek after wisdom because they know they have so much left to learn. And that wisdom causes them to turn aside from wickedness. And it's that teachability that helps them to gain instruction. They deliberately listen as other wise people speak wisdom to them. And so they have something to share with others. 
they have wisdom to share as a conduit because they have received wisdom. And we've seen already how this wisdom, it's connected to righteousness. It's got a big moral dimension. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. Their hearts are tuned into what is good and what is right because their hearts are tuned into God. And there's a whole bunch of other verses in, in your handout that describe the wise person. I'd encourage you this week, why not read through them and after each one pray, God, make me that. Make me that way. But as we come to the end of, of part A of our message, t- describing these five characters, what we're going to do now, having seen these five characters, which really you can boil them down to two, the wise and the foolish. But if we, you know, expand things a little bit, the simple, the fool, the scoffer, the wicked, and the wise slash righteous, we're going to make two observations. Now, we've seen these already. I've said things about them already, but this is just to make sure we don't miss it. First observation, wisdom and folly are not a matter of intelligence, but they're a matter of what's in your heart. Now, here's what's, what's difficult here, is that in the Hebrew mind, in, in, in the Hebrew Bible, the word for heart encompasses all that we are, including our minds. But it's not primarily a matter of intellect, IQ, okay, how smart you are, how well you did on your SATs or your CATs, I guess, because we're in, we're in Canada. It's, it's not about your ability to retain facts and information. That's not what wisdom is about in the book of Proverbs. It's about your heart which is the direction, whether you are oriented to God or oriented to your own glory. Do you remember Proverbs 4.23? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It's what's in our heart that flows out to our attitudes and our actions. As water reflects the face, so the heart of man reflects the man, 27.19. And so... What is it that makes a wise man speak wise words? Is it because in his head he read some books and memorized some facts about things to say in certain situations? No. It's that like Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or, as 1623 says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. See how Jesus and Solomon are on the exact same page? It's out of your heart that you speak. A wise heart shows up in wise speech. So, it's not about whether you feel like you're smart. In fact, if you think, I don't know if I could be wise because I, I don't feel like a very smart person. Well, you've actually got one of the most important ingredients for wisdom there, which is humility, which is not feeling like, I'm so wise. You're off to a good start. It's about your heart. Now, number two, our second big observation, wisdom and folly are seen by our words and actions. So Proverbs tells us, and we looked at this two years ago, that it starts in the heart, okay? However, how can you tell what is in someone's heart? How can you tell what is in your heart? 
Do you need a special heart x-ray machine that you can go? Do you need a psychology degree to go and see what's in people's hearts to be able to tell whether they're wise or foolish? Well, no. What is the book of Proverbs told? What are these verses that we've read so far this morning told us? Is that wisdom and folly show up in how you talk and how you act. That's just what we've seen. And that's why Proverbs 20.11 can say very simply, even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. It shows up in what you say and how you act. That's who you really are. And it's particularly true in those moments where we're caught off guard and we forget to turn our filters on. See, a lot of us, we can practice acting really well. We can put on a show of being wise. But it's when something happens that you can't prepare for. And what comes out then... Okay, so I, I, I've, I'm sure I've shared this before, I think a couple of years ago, but let's, let's just review some of it. Okay, so we, in our world today, it's not uncommon for us to hear people make apologies like, oh, sorry for what I said there, uh, you, you really caught me off guard. So, you know, what you got was just sort of me just being caught off guard. Sorry for what I said. Well, actually, according, according to what we see in the Bible, if it's true that out of the heart the mouth speaks, then when you're caught off guard, that's actually the real you. Or when someone says, oh, I, I'm so ashamed of what I did, that's not the real me. Well, actually, if, if you did it, that is the real you. That's what is in your heart coming out and bubbling up to the outside. So you don't need a psychology degree to know whether someone's wise or foolish, know whether you are wise or foolish or which pathway you're on. The book of Proverbs just tells us again and again, look, look at what they say, look at how they act. So it's not about your brain purely. It's about all of you, your heart. And that heart shows up in your actions. So now we're going to move on to two questions. Question number one. So we've seen the five people. We've made two observations. And now two questions. Question number one. Why does it matter? Why does it matter whether we or anybody else is wise or foolish or wicked or simple? I mean, again, today's world, right? You do you, man. If you want to do foolishness, that, you know, you rock that foolishness. That would be some common advice that we would hear in our world today. Once again, Proverbs disagrees. And Proverbs actually gives many answers to this question of why does this matter? Why should we care? But I boil it down to two. So within this first question, we get two answers. Number one, it's because it matters to God. God cares. God cares a lot whether you are wise or foolish, whether you are righteous or wicked. He cares a lot. Listen to Proverbs 11.20. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. I remember the first time I studied one of these verses, and it just literally was one of those moments where I felt the fear of God like I had never felt before in my life because there is nothing more terrifying to me than the thought that I would be an abomination to the person who created the universe, that I would get into a hard time in my life and cry out to the only one who can help me and to know that that prayer would not be heard because I'm abominable to him. That thought terrifies me. 
And yet, according to the book of Proverbs, that is true for those who have chosen the path of wickedness and foolishness, and no amount of religious performance is going to fix it. Think of what some of these verses there have to say. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The wicked person comes into the temple to offer a sacrifice. God hates it. It's detestable, abhorrent. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Proverbs 28, 9. We've somehow got this idea, right, that we can, that people, maybe we don't think we in this room, but someone could ignore and hate and, and, and walk away from God their whole life, but when they get into trouble, they expect him to be there for them. They expect him to answer their prayer for, for help. And sometimes God very graciously does listen to those prayers, but look at what it says here. If your heart is turned away from listening to what God has said, your prayers, they're an abomination. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance, 14.9. So God really cares. And whether you are wicked or wise or foolish or righteous, it, it impacts your relationship with the creator of the universe. So that's why it matters. And I hope you'd agree that's a pretty big why. And there's several other proverbs there on your handout that connect these themes together. Now, there's a second answer to why does this matter? And the answer is that wisdom and folly affect us now and into eternity. Now, there's a lot of verses that talk about these different themes, but most of them have to actually do with this one. You'll see in your handout there, there's like a big list. We're not going to, of course, read them all. I encourage you to read them, though. This would be a great study to do if you're not doing anything specific with your uh, devotions or your time in God's Word at home. But Proverbs tells us repeatedly that wisdom and folly are either going to give us a rich and a full life or a, destruct, or a life of destruction and pain and sorrow. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver, 1616. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding, 2323. Wisdom is valuable beyond money because of the benefit that it brings into the life of the one who has it. Whoever gets sense loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will discover good. 19.8. I love 24.13-14. It's the father once again speaks. My son, eat honey, for it is good. And, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. It's almost like the, the dad saying, son, do you like it when you put some sugar on your tongue, some honey on your tongue? That, that's good, isn't it? You like that? Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. This is so good for you to find wisdom. That's what he's saying. On the other hand, foolishness and wickedness are like dripping toxic acid on your tongue instead of honey. It's going to cause so much pain now and into the future. And listen to the contrast here. Proverbs 10, 27 to 30. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. And verse after verse after verse after verse after verse tells us the same thing. So, why does this matter? Well, because 
Wisdom and righteousness make for a rich, long, full, bountiful life. And folly and wickedness make for a short, painful life full of destruction. One of my favorites, 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Wicked, the wicked person is consumed with fear at the judgment of God that's coming, but the righteous can face whatever comes with confidence. I had that experience talking to Marilyn Doyle this week after her husband just suffered a stroke and so many things changed for her, and yet she sounded bold on, that, on the phone. She knew who her God was. It was so great. Now, here's something. We can't forget the covenant, right? Something that we've gone over a lot, and that's so important. The Proverbs were written in the context of the covenant with Israel. And in that covenant, there were terms of blessing when they obeyed God and curses for when they disobeyed God. And so many of these Proverbs are simply repeating the terms of the covenant. You look them up in Deuteronomy 28. So specifically promising, blessing if they obey, curses if they disobey. But even beyond the terms of the covenant, don't we know even in our lives today that generally being a fool is going to cause pain in your life? And generally being wise is, is going to really help you out? Okay, so that's not a surprise. Here's, here's the, on the, the last thought on this. What was such a surprise to me this week is how some of the Proverbs, even though they're written in the context of the Old Covenant, they point beyond to eternity. And I didn't expect to find this. Because in the, in the covenant God made with Israel, with Moses, it was just all this life. And yet, listen, when the tempest passes, this is 1025, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. 1228, in the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. That blew me away, that the Holy Spirit was leading the heart of Solomon and the other wisdom writers to see that in the path of wisdom and in obeying God's commands, it stretches beyond the grave into eternity. And that certainly applies to you and I today, doesn't it? As we get to this second question, what about us? The wisdom of the gospel has given us the hope of eternal life, that though we might suffer with Jesus in this life, as he told us to take up our crosses and follow him, yet do we not know how the, that the wisdom of the gospel has the promise of life, abundant life now, and an eternal life that begins today? But that's not actually where we're going to focus our attention here for, in these last, last few moments here. As we ask this question, what about us? And what do these different characters have to say to us today? I want to ask one very specific question to end. Is it possible to be a Christian and a fool at the same time? We've heard this morning about the wise and the fools, the two big categories. Is it possible? Is it possible to be a a disciple of Jesus Christ, to have been born again, to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and to be, in the description of the book of Proverbs, a fool. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Last week, Jason talked about the blessing. Jason 
I just loved hearing Jason preach last week, but um, he preached about the blessing of discipline and correction and even the blessing of rebuke. And he talked about our temptation at times to be polite Canadians who don't want, ever want to offend anybody and so we don't say the thing that needs to be said that would really help someone out because we just don't want to offend them. And I, I loved what, what he said, and I don't disagree with it at all. However, isn't it true, isn't it true that very often we shy away from giving correction because we're afraid that people are not going to respond well? Or even worse, we know that they're not going to respond well? How many times have we seen people who call themselves Christians respond really poorly to correction? They get defensive or angry or they play the victim and lash out or otherwise they, they blow up or, or, or in whatever form they do. They just respond really terribly to any suggestion that maybe, just maybe, they don't know everything and maybe, just maybe, they've got something to learn in this situation. That maybe, just maybe, they had made a wrong choice and that maybe we're actually trying to help them in what we're saying in other words, in other words, they act like fools. And sometimes even scoffers, arrogantly mocking those who try to call them to account. And it shouldn't be. There should be no such thing as a Christian fool. There should be no such thing as a Christian fool. And there should be no such thing as a Christian fool because Christians should know better than anybody else how to receive correction because we've received the ultimate correction in the gospel. God, through someone else preaching the gospel to us, told us that we were wicked and could do absolutely nothing to save ourselves and that we were going to be destroyed just like we just read here and that we were helpless and hopeless but then God gave us soft hearts to turn to repent of our sin to turn away from it and to turn to Jesus who had done everything necessary to save us when he died in our place I mean talk about a correction talk about being told something offensive and yet to believe the gospel is to receive that correction with open hands and an open heart and then and then we become disciples of Jesus students of Jesus attached to him following him living on his every word taking up our crosses to following him as Ephesians 4:20 says which is there in your handout that that to be a Christian is something we've learned Christ and we've gone on to be taught in and by him this is what it means to be a Christian. A genuine Christian is someone who has been corrected in the most fundamental way possible and who has entered into a lifestyle of continual learning from Jesus and from his body, the church. Remember, we looked at this a few months ago, that lifestyle of repentance and so there should be no such thing as a Christian fool because the gospel should transform us into being the most teachable community of people on planet Earth, teachable learners of wisdom. And 
Yet, I know and you know that all too often foolishness yips at our heels. Like an annoying little dog. And when someone comes to correct us, we got to kick it away because it's there. It's all too easy to give in to the temptation to start to think and act and feel like we've got it all together, to act like our old selves, to act like fools. And so this morning, perhaps the Holy Spirit is convicting you of a time or times where you've acted like a fool or even a scoffer. And if that's the case, then I invite you to repent this morning. I invite you to repent. I invite you to confess your sins to God and those that you've wronged. That's something we so often miss. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. You want to you put a, a peg in the skull of foolishness in your life? Take the dose of humility that comes from confessing your sin to another person. It's so powerful. Confess your sins to God and to one another. And then I invite you to reflect on and to enjoy the gospel. And that's why we're going to end today by singing this song, All I Have is Christ. Because this is a song that celebrates this pure grace rescue that God accomplished for us. We had nothing. We wouldn't have even listened to him if he hadn't turned our hearts and made us listen to him. And if you know Jesus this morning, this is your story. You have been rescued and corrected and taught and redeemed purely by grace. And that should make you a person of deep biblical wisdom. And the more that the gospel gets into our hearts, the more that wisdom is going to be made known. Now, maybe you're here this morning. I never know who's here or who's listening after the fact. And if you don't know Christ, I invite you to hear him calling you today. Turn from your wickedness. Turn to Jesus. Repent and believe. You can do that right now. As I'm saying these words, you can just say yes and receive and bow your knee and begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy the eternal life that he died and rose again to purchase for you and thus begin a life of wisdom. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to take a moment to reflect, maybe to confess, maybe to celebrate, and then we're going to sing and rejoice in the grace that God has given to us in Jesus. Father, thank you for this big, vast challenging but encouraging picture of the ways that we can respond to you. And Father, I pray that you would help all of us who know you to be so marked by the humility of the gospel that we would be wise, humble, diligent, seekers of wisdom. Lord, turn us aside from foolishness. Help us to repent of it, to confess it where we need to, to reject it by the power of your spirit, to put it to death. Make us, Lord, a community of deep, humble wisdom, growing in knowledge as we know that we don't have it all, listening and learning from each other, from your word, from you. Oh God, draw us to the good, hopeful news of the gospel here today. Let every heart rejoice, I pray. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen.